morning. Is this thing on? Hello? All right. Hi. <laughs> uh, okay. I did lots of public speaking in high school and college, and one of the things I like to do is just look at everybody, and then I'm like, okay, I'm all right. Um, can we pray before we get started? Let's just bow our heads and pray. <sighs> Heavenly Father, thank you so much for um, the breath in my lungs, Lord God. Thank you for waking me up this morning. And Lord, um, thank you for the use of my limbs. I was able to get up here and, and stand here before these beautiful people, Lord God. I just ask that uh, I would get out of the way, Lord, when they are looking up here at me. Lord, I pray they see you. When I'm speaking, Lord God, I pray that their hearts and minds are open to receive your word this Lord morning. And uh, Lord, I just pray that um, as I falter and I stumble through this message, Lord God, I just pray that if there's anything that um, I say today that is not of you, Lord God, I just pray that it fall away. And uh, people walk out of here changed, and they walk out of here with a renewed sense of spirit, um, a renewed sense of community and calling that they have in you, Lord God. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. And Lord, may my hippie deodorant work this morning, and may my essential oils work this morning. <laughs> I thought you guys might be weirded out if I prayed for that, but... Uh, well, good morning. Uh, I wanted to kind of open up and tell you guys a little bit about myself. Um, some of you are fairly new to the church. Some of you have, um, I've grown to know you over the last couple of months. And um, I've been serving in this position as children's ministry pastor um, since June of 2017. So I've been uh, stumbling through the dark, constantly just trying to find my way. I was a little um, proud you know, prideful stepping into this position because I thought, you know, man, I've been working with kids since before I got out of university. Um, I have been serving as a director, you know, for kids programs for over, oh my gosh, like 13 years. I got this. Like, I can do this. And I can tell you that it's kind of like Callie said, you know, when they stepped up into that senior level position, um, I stepped into this calling and I didn't even know it was mine. It was so crazy because um, I was going through some stuff at my current job. I was working for the Caw Nation at the time, and I had been there over five years, going on six years. We had built this thing from the ground up, and uh, I felt really good about it. I had the best staff in the world, and if you work with children, you are only as good as your weakest link, and um, I didn't have one. My staff was phenomenal. And everything was going good, but there were just some things kind of in the background, and I was kind of feeling a wrestling in my spirit. And I went for a walk with Callie, and um, I had been praying secretly. I didn't even told my husband, but I had been praying secretly for about three months. Lord, you're going to have to open a door because um, I don't really have the, the capacity to leave this job right now, but I feel like I'm being moved away from this. It was the weirdest thing because on the outside, you go, why? Everything looks good, you know? Um, but uh, so I went on a walk with Callie, and I'm just kind of telling her some things that are going on <laughs> and just kind of unloading on her, really. And she's like, well, what if you just, you know, like, what if you just worked at the church? And I was like, I know, right? What if I did? She's like, no, like, what if you worked <laughs> at the church with us? Like, what if you came alongside us and helped us with the children's ministry? I was like, oh, yeah, I'll totally do that. Like, I'm already doing that. I remember this conversation so well. I was like, I'm already doing that. I'm serving, like, you know, a couple times a month. Like, yeah, I mean, I'll do that. She goes, no, like, what I'm saying is, and I, and I mean, I, if you know me at all, I'm not a person of little words. I can talk myself out of pretty much anything. I was in theater for X amount of years. I love public speaking, and um, this is a little different, just side note. Uh, a little nervous. But um, 
And so I was speechless. <laughs> I was literally speechless. We're walking. We're like getting it, you know, going around the park. And I'm just like, and there's nothing happening. And I'm sure Callie's like, what? what is, how is she receiving this? And um, finally, after probably, I don't know, five or ten minutes, I was like, are you serious? Like, do you mean? And then it just, it was so crazy because it was like this clashing of like, it was such a God moment because it was like all the things I'd been praying for in secret that I didn't even tell my husband because I knew he thought I, would be, I was crazy. Um, because the job at Carnation really was a godsend, too, and I don't have time to talk about that. But, I mean, it just didn't make sense, you know, to do that from an outsider's perspective. So uh, to be standing up here is quite humbling um, because if you had told me 15 months ago that I was going to be up here and how it was going to fit with that little baby that's sitting in the second row, um, I mean, you know, I've shared about my miscarriage. I've shared, you know, with some of you about my long journey and being an, um, older, having a, you know, a third baby with a 12-year gap, I don't recommend that, um, a little different, but all these things just kind of, it was just like this God moment where everything just kind of clashed together, and everything all of a sudden just made so much sense, and I'm looking back over this last, you know, however many months um, and year, and I'm just like, wow, I'm standing up here right now in front of you guys, it's so humbling, and, um, but it's awesome at the same time, because it's like God has no limits to what he can do in us and through us, you know, and, and I'm a testament to that. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, so that's kind of how I came to this place, right? Um, uh, titled this message, You Can Sit With Us, and to kind of understand why this was so heavy on my heart and why I was like, oh, man, this, it's how I need to talk about this, was because from day one, uh, I, um, my, my, my family, a little bit about me just up front, um, I am a wife. I have been married to my husband, Jermaine, uh, 13 years in February. Holy cow. Yeah. <laughs> 13 years. Oh my gosh. I still feel like we're in college and like going to Barnes and Noble and, but no, we have three children. Um, <laughs> um, and my oldest daughter is Naomi. She is 12 and I have a middle daughter, Anaya. She's 11. Do the math. Uh, and it was rough. And, and then my baby, Evangeline's over here sleeping. I have no idea how she's sleeping through all this, but she is. So we have three little girls. This was our uh, family trip, which we hadn't taken one in a while. We went to Destin, Florida to see my best friend get married. And holy I'm not a beach person. I'm just going to say that. I don't like the water. Um, I don't really like hanging out on the beach in the sun. That's not my thing. I like rainy days in bookstores. That's my jam. But this was beautiful, the, the scenery was gorgeous, and it's one of the best family photos that we have that we're all in together. So that's my little bit about my family. Um, my background, uh, a little bit about, uh, I born and raised in Ponca City. Um, actually, not born here, but um, born and raised in Ponca City, and um, I am a daughter of a mixed race um, couple. My mother is white. My father is Native American. He's from the Ponca tribe. I am a proud member of the Ponca tribe. And um, growing up, you know, you kind of, you see things, you know, I don't know, this is kind of my story, you know, it was very common to walk in, you know, in the 80s to walk into a restaurant and have, you could hear a fork drop because my parents are, you know, interracial marriage. Um, it was very common for my mom's side to kind of be weird towards my dad. It was kind of common for my dad's side to be kind of weird towards my mom. Um, lots of family spats and disputes throughout the years. And as a child, just kind of growing up and watching that, you kind of, you take some notes. You know, you don't realize it at the time that you're taking notes, but you do. Um, I, in addition to uh, leading children's ministry, I am a yoga instructor. 
and uh, I teach classes here a couple times a week. I'm so grateful to have that opportunity to do that. A lot of you come to my classes. We have a lot. We have a lot of fun, and um, it's very healing for me. It's a big part of my journey. I won't be sharing a lot of that today, but um, I also coach. I am a basketball coach. Um, I've done all different ages, but currently I'll be coaching a fifth grade girls team. I uh, just finished a, a winning season, a second season with um, Bell's Bulldogs, uh, 10 and under softball team, and they are my heart and soul. I don't, I should have put some pictures up here of them, but um, actually that's up there in that right-hand corner. That was uh, last season, and um, absolutely love, love it. I love to coach. Um, I love being around kids. If you know me at all, you've heard me say I would much rather hang around kids than adults, too much drama. Kids are simple. They're simple. They're innocent. They're fun. They keep me young. Um, so that's a little bit about myself. That's me um, hiding some scissors behind my back. I was about to give the cat a haircut. Um, yeah, that, that, I was looking for a childhood picture, and my mom shared that one on Facebook, and I was like, oh, yeah, that was me for sure. I was a single kid till I was like eight. You know, my older siblings were all much older than me, and I made my own fun. I had my own cats and horses and farm animals, and so that is a picture of me getting ready to give the cat a haircut. And um, so that's a little, you know, a little bit about my background, my, my, my story. But kind of going back to my parents, uh, my father, um, I am a buffalo head on my father's side. Uh, very, very big family. If you run into somebody and you're like, hey, I met this buffalo head the other day, are you guys related? Obviously, it's not like you're going to run into a bell and you're like, oh, yeah, there's a millions and millions of bells in, in, in this this nation. You run into a buffalo head. Yes, I'm alert. I'm I'm a, I'm a, I'm re related to them. I can't promise you that I know them because there is so many of us and we are all over the place. Um, my husband's so funny when he when we moved here, we moved here from Austin, Texas. Um, after university, we moved to Austin. I followed him, and um, we got married, had some kids. We moved back here. He wanted to go back to school, and he was doing a part-time gig at the hospital, <laughs> and. Um, he came home one night and he was like, I know you said like you're related to a lot of people. Like I know you said that. He goes, but literally every night I'm running into a sister or a brother or and they're constantly asking about your dad. Like, oh, my grandpa, do I owe oh, my uncle? Do I owe? Oh. He's like, how many siblings do you have again? Like just break that down for me. And if there are any, any natives in the audience, you get the kinship system, okay? So, like, first cousins are our sisters and our brothers, and second cousins are, and older cousins are our aunts. And, I mean, it's just, and so, poor Jermaine, he had a little bit of a learning curve when he moved here because he was a city boy from Texas. There aren't a lot of tribes in Texas. And he's just like, I thought I knew you, but I'm starting to think you, you just have this whole other life. That I was like, no, babe, it's the kinship system. You'll get it. And now he's so funny. He's like, yeah, I met somebody else who said your dad's their, their brother the other day. And I was like, yeah, okay. You know, like he totally rolls with it. But um, this is my dad. Flashback dad. Um, this is, and these are my parents in the second row. My family came to be here with me today. I'm so thankful. Yes, thank you. Ah. I mean, literally, I kept looking back, and then once they were here, I felt complete. I was like, okay, now I can do this. I'm very, very close to my family. Um, this is my father. Um, he is a roadman of the Native American church. Uh, our services look a little different. I couldn't get the shot. And some of the photos you're going to be seeing are not Instagram-worthy, guys. These are from, like, the 80s and the 90s that you're getting these photos. So bear with me there. But um, one of my favorite childhood memories was growing up with my father and watching him lead church services. And our church services are held in a teepee, and they're overnight. We go in about 8 or 9 o'clock, um, sometimes 10 o'clock, and we sing and worship. 
um, all night long. We sit up um, as a sacrifice, you know, God, Christ's sacrifice on the cross. We sacrifice our, our bodies and our comforts, and we sing to sit up all night long around a fire. And around 7 or 8 in the morning, we come out, and this was us just coming out. I think I was maybe 7 in that picture. I don't know. But those are some of my most fondest memories, was watching um, my father lead church services, watching my father pray for people, uh, watching my father love on people and go to people's houses. And um, so that's my, he was um, also, uh, throughout my life, he was the chief of our tribe. Uh, I am, I would say probably about two-thirds of my life. Um, he's, <laughs> my baby's looking at me. Two-thirds of my life, <clears throat> my father was um, the chief of our tribe. So um, I got to watch his struggles and strifes and, and victories um, and kind of the rise and fall, you know, of leadership. Um, and it was just, I, I, I realize every day how much that has an impact on me. And my dad, about a little bit about, you know, our, our culture, we come from clans. And um, our clan, my dad was able to sit in that seat as a, as a, as a pastor, if you want to call it. We call it a road man. But he's able to have that seat because of our family. We come from a very long line of spiritual men um, uh, in, in our tribe. And um, I, I knew if there was one thing I was going to say up here today that might make me cry because I'm a big crier. There's one thing I was going to say today that might really be hard to talk about would be standing up here after following in the footsteps of my ancestors. Um, Probably about six months ago, we had a lady come and visit our church, and I was just sharing with her. She was a fellow Ponca member, and she said, wow, you're not just a lady, pastor. She said, you're a Ponca. You represent the Ponca nation, and I just went, you know, I was just like, and, and she just started speaking over me, and she was just like, you don't just get to, you know, share the Lord you know, as a woman, you get to share the Lord as a Ponca tribal member. Like, you could, and she just started telling me, you know, you serve in this long line of men, and she started talking about all these, my grandpas from years past, and think, you know, and, and if you know anybody in their 60s or 70s, they probably know some stories about my great-grandpa, um, some pretty crazy stories, but God is, God is so big, and he's so good, and a little bit about my dad, my mom, um, she fought with me last night. She wanted me to glamour shot uh, picture up of her it's like mom I'm not doing it because you are not, that's not you um, I'm sorry if I'm confusing some of you today I actually put some makeup on don't normally do that that's because of my mom my mom is so low maintenance and so low key she's just so chill she'd rather walk around barefoot I literally contemplated coming up here with no shoes on I was like I have to wear shoes uh, but that is my mom she's so crazy and goofy and silly and funny and she is magic like, you're around her, and she's magic. That's just the best way to describe her. She lights up a room. She make. I mean, she's the reason I celebrate Mondays in my household and the way I lead my house. I mean, we, we don't need a reason to celebrate. Last night, we all came together and watched football and had food. Normally, we play game nights. Like, almost every weekend, we get together and do stuff like this. And I don't take that for granted that that's not the norm in society today. You know, that's not normal to... Um, get together almost every weekend and go for walks. And, I mean, we don't get sick of each other. And, I mean, that's a house full of women. My poor dad and Jermaine and my nephew are the only men in our house. And we, we don't, I mean, we make it work, you know. And, and so that's a little bit about my mom. Mom, that's not the photo you wanted. But that is our relationship right there. <laughs> Wearing goofy hats, decorating the Christmas tree, like, back in the 
early 2000s. It, um, yeah. So a little bit of, you know, my mom, she is um, a supervisor for the U.S. Postal Service. And be nice, you guys. I'm just going to put a little PSA in here. I know it's the holidays, and I know you want to know where your packages are, but come on. Like, she doesn't know where your package is. She's in the office. She's not hustling out on the icy streets till 8 and 9 o'clock at night getting your packages. She's just, you know what I mean? Oh, my gosh. Every time I go to see her, she's got somebody on the phone. And then up at the window, why don't you know where my... I'm like, because she's right here standing with you. That's why she doesn't know where your package is. You guys have no idea how hard postal people work. Like, leave them some, leave them a gift in your mailbox, a little note to say thank you. Offer them some hot cocoa when they come to your door to deliver a package at 6 o'clock at night in the freezing rain. Like, just put yourself in their shoes for just a second. But my blessed mother, she's been working um, as a supervisor for the Postal Service for three years now, two years. And um, she's been with the Postal Service for almost 20 and in a leadership role. She was also a Girl Scout leader. I did not get pictures of that because they were ancient. I couldn't even, you wouldn't even, they were so unpicky, the pixels, you know, it was like in the 80s. Uh, she was a Girl Scout leader. She was a youth group leader. And I just kind of grew up having these two amazing parents that were very involved in my life. Um, they made every softball game, every basketball game that I sat the bench, they were there. They're here today, you know. Um, if I was doing something in Austin, Texas that was of any kind of importance, they would make the eight-hour trip to be there for me. Like, they've just always been a constant in my life. And um, they never really preached at me, never, never preached at me. They just kind of led their life, and I was just blessed to kind of watch them do that. And I'm standing up here today a product of their leadership, a product of their humility, um, a product of their love for other people is why I'm here today. So, um but I wanted to talk about you can sit with us today because uh, I've had some moments in my life where I was the new kid that walked in the room, you know, and I think if you really think about it, you have those moments more than you think you do. Um, we, I was joking with TD about this the other day, but we went into the Ponkin the other day to, to check out the Ponkin to kind of get some, you know, details and specifics. I'm so excited. <laughs> you guys have no idea how excited I am about this Christmas candlelight service. But we walked in, and we kind of walked in on a conversation. And, you know, I'm from Ponca City, so I know people. You know, I know who's who and what's what. And um, T and Callie are, you know, from out-of-towners out or, you know, from, from a different city. Uh, L.A., you know, like they're from L.A. And we walk in, and it, when it was that moment for me at least. T didn't really feel it, but that just speaks to his, his confidence, like he's, he's a man on a mission, you know, but I walked in, I was very aware, I walked in, and it was kind of like, we kind of walked in, we were the new kids on the block, you know, we we're like, oh, do we, inter do we interrupt this conversation, do we just stand here and look at the beautiful artwork, like, you know, that was the last moment that I can remember where I had that, you know, kid walking in the room moment, and um, there are moments in the Bible where God kind of brings someone alongside, you know, kind of comes and kind of does this, and if you spend any amount of time on social media, I, I just want to say I don't, I don't see a lot of that on my page happening. I don't see a lot of come alongside me and let's talk about this. Come alongside me and let's sit and have dinner. I just see a lot of just back and forth, back and forth. And it's like um, I don't normally get in, you know, into those kind of things. But here lately I've kind of posted on my page a little bit and got into some discussions, but I'm always welcoming discussion. I'm always like, guys, let's talk about this. Here's what I think. What do you think, you know? And there's been a lot of good dialogue happening. Um, 
I wish that we could sit around a table and talk about that, and that's kind of what brought me to today. Um, when TD asked me a couple months ago to come up here, I was like, man, you know, God, what would you have me talk about? And it's so crazy. I was, um, one of my favorite movies is Chocolate. Have you ever heard of Chocolate? I wanted to show a video so bad. Yeah, there's one. All right, cool. Um, but it's a, it's a romantic kind of comedy kind of thing. Um, Johnny Depp's in it, and ah, there we go. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I knew there were more of you that seen this than just me. Okay. Um, and a dude, no less. I love that. But anyways, um, Chocolat is, I, I was watching this one day, and there's always this quote that, like, ugh. And I don't know if you've seen it, but really quickly, this woman moves into this town, this tiny little village in France, and it's a village. So everybody knows everybody. Everybody goes to the same church. Everybody dresses the same. Everybody does the same thing every day. They take the walks. They talk to the same people. They have the same groups. They know each other's business, right? It's a very tight-knit community. And this outsider comes into town, and she's a woman with a daughter, no husband. She's very curvaceous and beautiful, and she wears, you know, form-fitting clothes, and, you know, she's just a bright ray of sunshine. And she comes in, and all the villagers are like, and um, he's not the pastor of the, of the church, the, the only church in the village, but he's kind of like runs things at the church. I don't know what that fancy word is, but um, he's kind of grooming this priest to take over for him. And it's a week of penance. I had to, had to fix, fix this. So for, I was calling it something totally different. Didi was like, oh. So penance. And so essentially what it is is they don't partake in something. And she comes into town and opens up a chocolate shop of, you know, a chocolate shop. Could have done anything, right? But she rolls into town and opens up this chocolate shop in the week of penance. Or it may have actually been, it was longer than a week. And so he starts grooming this priest to, like, from the pulpit, start speaking out against her. Stay away from her. This is penance. We're supposed to be, you know, staying away from things that bring us pleasure. And we are a holy people. And and so essentially it kind of affects her business because her business is, um, you know, giving people chocolate. So people start sneaking in to get chocolate and hanging out with her, sneaking around behind this guy's back. And some things happen. You really got to see it. I mean, if you just watch it just for the scenery, oh my gosh, it's gorgeous. The village is beautiful. It's an actual place. It's insane. Um, and at the end, there's this quote. The priest comes up, and I have it um, up here for you guys because it's kind of lengthy. Um, but you've got, you've got to watch this movie because you can get the weight of what, of what he's about to say. So he comes up on his platform. They're all sitting and waiting, kind of like you guys are, like, what is he going to say, you know? And this is what he says. Do I want to speak of the miracle of our Lord's divine transformation? Not really, no. I don't want to talk about his divinity. I'd rather talk about his humanity. I mean, you know, how he lived his life here on earth, his kindness, his tolerance. Listen, here's what I think. I think that we can't go around measuring our goodness by what we don't do, by what we deny ourselves, what we resist. Here's the piece, and who we exclude. I think we've got to measure goodness by what we embrace, what we create, and who we include. And that, my friends, is kind of how I came to this place. 
And I started praying, and right away, God gave me this memory that I had. And in a minute, I'm going to share a verse, a verse with you, and we're going to spend a little bit of time in the Word and talking about this. But to set that up, to kind of give you some, like, visual, I'm a visual kind of girl. I talked earlier about our You Can Sit With Us moment. How many of you guys have seen, like, the Mean Girl movie? Like, how many of you have been in high school, and even if you were popular, there's still this thing that happens. I, I work with kids. Look, I see it. You know, people want to argue with me that we're not born sitters. Raise a toddler, okay? It's true. We are born born that way, right? And, and there's this thing that happens with kids, and they kind of do. I've watched it on my softball team. They kind of um, create these little nucleuses within the team. And because I coach girls, I have to be really aware of this. And because I have girls, it makes me hyper aware of it. But they kind of do this thing where they kind of make these little groupings. And it's normal. You know, I was talking to my brother-in-law about this last night because I was ta- you know, talking about my you can sit with us moment that changed my life. And he said, you know, it's normal, Sarah. It's normal for us to identify with people that look like us. It's normal for us to, to go towards something, someone that maybe dresses like us or things that are like us. That's normal. Um, my sister and I were, um, I don't remember where we were yesterday, but this girl walked by and she had like this purse that had fringe that was like down to her feet and there was like cow, pa- cow patch patterns on it and there was like a rodeo buckle thing on it. And she was like, was that, she goes, was that a purse? And I was like, I think that was a purse. And I looked at her and I go, girl, we don't know what rodeos are about. We don't know anything about that life. Like, that probably has some kind of significance, and we have no idea. Like, don't even try to touch that. She probably won that in some kind of rodeo or something. Like, we don't understand what we don't know, right? We don't, if we don't identify with that, we don't understand that. And she wasn't being ugly. I wasn't being ugly. We were just like, was that a purse? Or like, what, was that a badge that she was wearing? Like, what the heck was that? And I just, I started thinking about my, you know, that moment, and my brother-in-law was telling me, you know, Sarah, it's not inherently bad. He said, but when we were in college, we were seen, it was seen as bad that we sat together at the black table. My my husband is black, my brother-in-law is black, and we're talking about this, and he says, you know, um, we went to this predominantly white university, Oklahoma Wesleyan University at the time in Bartlesville, and he said, you walk into the cafeteria and there's like the North Dakota Wesleyans over there. There's the South Dakota Wesleyans over there. And there's the pastor's kids over there. And then there's like the worship team table. There's the baseball team table, the basketball team table, the softball team table. And I didn't fit any of that. I stumbled into Oklahoma Wesleyan University. Wasn't even supposed to be there. But a blessing in disguise, I got a scholarship to play softball there. And I was angry at the world. I didn't want to be at university. I wanted to be back home. And uh, I walk into this cafeteria, and I don't know anybody. And I'm just, like, looking out over this cafeteria, and there's one table at the back of the room that's empty. And I'm like, well, that's the one I'm sitting at, because it would be really weird to just walk up to any of these other tables. Hey, North Dakota Wesleyans, what's up, Texas Wesleyans? Like, you guys are a whole youth group that came to school here, and I didn't. I'm one person that knows no one. So I go to this table, and I'm sitting there, and this big, like, 220-pound, 6'3", big old fro comes walking up. I'm like, boom, boom, boom. You know, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I look up, and he's like, what you doing? 
And I and I, I looked up and I was like, I, what do you mean? He's like, you know where you're at, right? And I was like, I'm sitting at this table. It's empty. He's like, okay. And he sits down. And then another guy comes down and sits down. And then another guy and another guy. And like three or four dudes come and they sit down. And I'm just eating my meal. I'm aware that they're, that they're black and I'm aware that they're dudes. Don't care. I get along better with guys than I do females, historically speaking. Um, so I'm not intimidated at all. I'm like, okay, whatever. Like, I'm the only non-black girl sitting at this table. Don't care. Um, and they all kind of, like, start laughing. And it's almost like they have this, like, ESP thing where they're just, like, changing these messages to one another. And finally, my brother-in-law, who was not my brother-in-law at the time, okay, did not even know Jermaine. My brother-in-law goes, are you, like, What's what's your story? <laughs> do you do you kind of he just the fat elephant in the room? This is my brother-in-law. He'll, he'll just say it. You know, Mark Jermaine. You have to really pull words out of Jermaine. His brother is complete opposite. He will he speaks freely and he's just like, you know, he's like I'm just gonna say what everybody's thinking. What are you doing? <laughs> you know, and I'm just like, why is this such a big deal? Like I don't know anybody here. I'm sitting here and they're like, okay, and so time goes by and days turn into weeks. And I had a really rough, um, I would say, couple of months at Oklahoma Wesleyan University. My mom's sitting over there closing her eyes going like this, like, oh, God. Um, I tried to leave a dozen times. Um, it was stupid. It was over a boy. It was like, I don't want to flex this new muscle. I want to go back to what's comfortable, what I know. And I packed my bags a dozen times to leave. I would get up. You know, 7 o'clock, I'd pack all my stuff. I'd go to my 8 o'clock class, 9 o'clock class. I'd come back, and I'd be unpacked. I'm like, what the heck? And my roommate at the time would unpack me. She barely knew me. But she said to me, I know you're not supposed to leave. You are supposed to be here. You've already forfeited other softball scholarships. You're not going to forfeit this one. You need to stay. I'm like, I don't know anybody. I barely see you. She's like a social butterfly. Everybody loves her. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And then the next day I try again, pack all my stuff. I come back. I'm unpacked. And this happened, I'm not even kidding, about a dozen times. But in, in through all that, I'm having breakfast, lunch, and dinner at this table. And I'm starting to kind of go, I, I guess I could do this. I'm starting to look forward to lunch and dinner starting to look forward to seeing my guys, my boys. I'm looking forward to seeing my friends. And I'm telling you, like, comedy club, nightclub, anything you've ever been to has nothing on these dudes at this table. Nothing. I laughed so hard. I mean, I remember my belly aching and I'm just crying because, we, I mean, the jokes they would tell on how they clowned on one another. And I'm just sitting there, like, dying. And I'm like, ah, yeah, that's so good, Ruben. Like, you're so funny. And meanwhile, everybody else is going, does she, is someone going to tell her? Like, she's sitting at the black table. Like, guys, I don't care. I don't care. I'm just here to tell you I don't care. I don't care if you're yellow. I don't care if you're purple. I don't care if you're female. I don't care if you're a male. I just, that's where I come from, you know. Um, and so that was my you can sit with us moment. And a little, little bit about that. So those four or five guys that were sitting at that table, one of them was my preacher brother-in-law. The other two were my future husband's best friends. While my husband was back in Austin, Texas, engaged to someone else. 
What? Yeah, I said it. Yeah. So I meet his brother-in-law and all of his best friends and all of his youth group where I ever met my husband. Now tell me God don't work things out, okay? Tell me he's not doing things in the background when you can't see. I'm sitting here worried about somebody else, broken heart, crying around, and God already had my husband figured out. God already had my husband wait. He was engaged to somebody else, (laughs) but he already had it figured out. He was confused. I was confused. We were young, right? So that's the crazy thing about all this. I met my brother-in-law and all my husband's childhood best friends and youth group a year before I ever met him. Bizarre. We would sit at the table and they would talk about Maine this and Maine that and Maine so crazy and Maine, Maine, Maine. And then they'd go home and I find out later from Jermaine, they'd be like, Hoopa, Hoopa. My, my Indian name is Me Hoopa. And that means coming with the, with the new moon. Um, I got it from my great, great grandmother and maybe three greats. And so that's my Indian name. And so when I shared that with them, not ever knowing any, they're like, what? Get out. You have an Indian name? They're like, can we have an Indian name? And I'm like, no, you can't. And so, like, there was this running joke. They're like, well, if I had an Indian name, like, what would it be? You know, and just they're so goofy, so goofy. And um, so my nickname, they couldn't say me Hoopa. Ruben called me me Hoop. Um, Marcus called me Hoopa, never called me my name. I was never Sarah again. Um, Buffalo Head a couple times. Hey, Buff, Buffalo Head. Buff was the one that stuck the most with everybody on campus, Buff. Um, I was then, not anymore. But uh, so crazy, right? I meet my husband's brother and youth group before I ever meet my husband. And they're home talking about Hoopa. And he's like, who the heck is this girl? Who is Hoopa? And he told me he remembers taking a, a youth group trip um, for fall preview and, and passing a sign that says you're now leaving the Ponca Reservation. He's like, kind of in his van, in the van seat. He was like, what does that mean? Like, am I, do I need to like look for arrows? Like what he, and he told me this. I'm going, you, did you think we still lived in teepees? What did you think? He's like, I don't know what I thought. I never met one. And I'm like, wow. Like, so there was this big, like misunderstanding between both of us. So anyway, that was my, you can sit with us moment. And it changed my life those guys didn't realize that their friendship and their allowing me to sit at their table and is what got me through my heartbreak. It's what got me through my depression. It's what got me through not knowing anybody. And they never, they weren't, they didn't set out to do that. They just, they just were there. They just loved me. They loved me for me. Um, and changed my life literally because fast forward a year later this hot stud comes walking up and I'm like oh and I met him once before but I was like oh whatever like didn't really see him he didn't really see me and we kind of got to know each other became friendships friendship turned into love and now we're married 13 years later with three kids so the rest is history right um but how crazy you know that them making a seat for me at their table turned into this crazy thing that I, you know, where I'm at today, and um, they had a lot of stories, you know, we got to kind of reminisce and talk, and um, I told them, please watch this message, you know, I'll give you a shout out, <laughs> um, they're all over the place, my, my, my best friend Ruben's in England, he's married and has kids in England, and everybody else is in Austin, Texas, and one of my friends is in Germany, so that we're all over the place, but um, so that was my you can sit with us moment, and I really want you to kind of think about that as we kind of go through this together. Um, I was looking in the Bible for, like, examples of, like, 
where Jesus did this. You know, where did he say, hey, come alongside me? I mean, he did it all the time, really. If you watch and you listen and you learn from his example, he did it all the time. I don't think he was ever not doing it, to be quite honest. He was always teaching. He was always, you know, mentoring without, I mean, without even really trying to. Um, in John 135, if you guys want to turn in your Bibles with me, John 135, and it's up on the screen if you um, did not bring your Bible or can't get there fast enough. Um, And I may not be reading. I'll just read from here so we're all reading the same thing. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And to give you a little backstory, people were really confused by John. They were like, you know, he kept telling them, I'm not the Messiah. Like, I'm not, I'm not him. (laughs) Like, stop, 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 you know. And so this is what they're talking about. The next day, John was there again talking about where he was at. And When he saw Jesus passing by, he says, look, the Lamb of God. And two two guys standing nearby, two disciples, they heard him say that, and they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following, and he asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. They went, and they saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. And I really, for dramatic effect, wanted to just end on come and you will see. But I think it's important to know that they spent the day with him. Um, so I was looking, you know, kind of praying on this verse and, and, I, and obviously, you know, here's Jesus, you know, and these two guys, you know, kind of like fan, fan clubbing are like, oh, oh, you know, following him. And he turns and he's like, what do you want? And what I think is so cool about this is he could have just turned around and been like, <laughs> like my friend Ruben, like, well, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, why are you following me? What do you want? You know, but he says, what do you want? And I, and I imagine in their faces, like I kind of put myself in their shoes. I'm like, man, <laughs> you know, if you turn around and said that to me, I think I would have just fell to the floor like complete puddle. You know, like what, what would I have done? And it almost feels like when he asked that question, he's asking something deeper than, than what he's actually asking. I mean, isn't that Jesus' way? What are you looking for? Okay? He's asking him something deeper than just the basic question, like, why are you following me, you know? Their answer is kind of sheepish, okay? To which Jesus could have answered literally by giving directions or a physical address, you know? He could have told him, oh, I live down the street on the corner of, you know, oh, I live in the house with the thatched roof. Like, I don't know. Like, he could have given him physical explanation and he could have been on his way but he didn't he said come and see come come and see I'm like okay and then he spends the day with them and what I think really stands out about this for me is number one he's Jesus for goodness sake okay obviously this man had somewhere to be he was Jesus he was going somewhere he had a to-do list or did he but this is what I'm always reminding myself is that I have, I have four planners. I'm not even joking. I have my phone planner. I have a book planner. I have my calendar planner. And then I have my desk planner. I have four planners, you guys. It's ridiculous. And they all match. And, but here's the thing. Like, I do that so I don't lose my mind. Because if you know me at all, I really so badly want to be organized. I so badly want to be type A. I'm kind of like a firstborn because all my other siblings are out of the house. I so bad want to be organized. That's why I have four planners. <laughs> but I'm not. I, just, you know, I want to be on time, but I can't. And I, I'm going to keep trying. I'm never going to give up. 
this relentless pursuit to be organized. But I just think about, you know, my life and how I kind of operate. And I'm like, okay, guys, 745, we got to do this. Okay, at 9 o'clock, I mean, ask my husband. His phone blows up all day because our calendars are synced. Oh, yes, they are. And all day long, he gets, he gets messages. Take the lesson plan to Donnie. Don't forget to print out that copy for Mr. Garcia. Don't forget to take the chicken out. to the, Like, I send myself messages. It's ridiculous. You know, I'm very methodical about that. But where God has put a grace on my life is I will drop all of that. If, some, if God brings me, if God's like, nope, pay attention to this. Pay attention to what's going on over here. And I think about Jesus in this moment, and this is what he did. He stopped everything. Wherever he was going, we can speculate. And he goes, come with me, guys. Come and see. And I don't know in this fast-paced society where we want an answer, we get it from Google in two seconds, and we have five planners, and our cars go really fast, and our cars do these super cool things, and, you know, we watch TV with no commercials anymore. You know, like, we're very used to instant gratification, and we are not, I don't think as a society, I'm going to go ahead and say it, I don't think that we are willing to be inconvenienced. I just don't think we are. Because I think if we were willing to be inconvenienced, we would be more like Jesus and go, oh, no, no, whatever that was can wait. Come on, come see. You know, I know I know, I do that. I'm just going to say myself, I know I do that. Um, you know, coaching sometimes, it's like I'll, I'll go to practice with this whole agenda ready. You know, we're going to do skills drills for 15 minutes, and then we're going to work on hitting for 30, and then for 45 we're going to do relay drills. Like, I have it planned out, but it never goes that way. Like, practices never go that way because something deeper is happening. Discipleship is happening. I'm praying for my little girls. I'm loving on them. I'm stopping to hear about the, the talent show they did. You know, one of them wants to talk about their sick grandma. That's important to her. That's more important than a 15-minute skills drill. And I have to constantly remind myself of that because I'm not programmed in my flesh to be that way. I'm very this, 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 this. By God's grace, I'm able to do that. So being willing to be inconvenienced. Surely he had an agenda, right? Don't we all? And I like this thing. I, I was reading this commentary on it, and it said they aren't interrupting his work. They are his work. And I, comp I compared that to coaching. My job is not to raise championship teams and, and all the accolades and all, man, you must be the most amazing coach because you never lose a game. No, my job are those little girls, to love them, to mentor them, to encourage them, to build them up. That's my work. Discipleship is my work. Advancing God's kingdom is my work. And I, I just love that commentary. They aren't interrupting Jesus' work. They are his work. And he gets that. He doesn't even stumble. <laughs> and I just, I love that about, about this verse. And the other cool thing that I want to say is just that this Messiah, you got to understand that these, these guys, they'd heard about him, okay? They'd heard about the Messiah, okay? Everybody knew their whole lives. It was not some abstract, he was just this abstract concept. But then all of a sudden, he's in front of them. And I, I, as I read that verse, that's the part that I kept getting choked up on because I was like, holy cow, how cool, you know, to go your whole life like us and be like, man, Jesus, 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 and then he's sitting in front of you, and he asks you to come with him, you know. 
and he makes time for them. And I wonder in my mind, I'm like, how did this change their concept of the Messiah? Obviously it did, right? Obviously it did. There are other examples of his hospitality, of Jesus' hospitality. You can look in Mark, where he eats with the sinners and the tax collectors. And there's another really quick story with Zacchaeus. You guys know all about Zacchaeus in Luke 19. Um, and for sake of time, I'm just going to, you know, it's up here. And you guys know the story. Zacchaeus is this chief tax collector. And when I learned about that, it means that he not only is a tax collector, but like he gets to take everything from his own people and then whatever's left over, he gets to keep for himself. So it's like even worse, in my opinion, you know, even worse. He goes up on this rooftop and he sees Jesus and Jesus is like, ah, come down here. And it's kind of cool because it's like this reverse hospitality. Jesus invites himself over to this guy's house, okay? Jesus saw Zacchaeus and he called him by his name, not a title, okay? I think that was important because this guy, I'm sure he didn't love himself, but he did what he did, right? And I think it was important to understand that Jesus called him by name. He didn't say, hey, tax collector, like everybody else probably. He's like, no, hey, Zacchaeus, come down here. He called him by name and not his title. And what, what about Zacchaeus? What, what, what is going through his mind? Holy cow, he sees me? Like he sees me up in this tree? I was just trying to see a glimpse of him, but he sees me and he calls me by name? So it, what is Jesus saying to him? He's saying, you're worthy of my time. I'm coming to your house today. The Bible says Zacchaeus was transformed, that he paid people back. Everything he'd taken from them, he paid back. He became a generous giver. And I think about, you know, what Jesus did, and I think about myself. When's the last time that I went to the other side? And I don't know what that looks like for you, but when's the last time you put yourself in an environment that wasn't familiar? Or do you just stay in your same little bubble every day that what's familiar? You go to the same grocery store, you go to the same coffee shop, you hang out with the same friends, you text the same people, you don't engage with anybody other than who thinks like you, walks like you, talks like you. When's the last time that you experienced another culture? When's the last time that you went to a powwow? Or you, um, I mean, that's right in your backyard, really. You know, ha have you ever engaged? Have you ever tried? I mean, what was it, like a year ago, we got to go and, and have fellowship with the Methodist Church. That was one of the most powerful spiritual experiences I've ever had in my life because I could see God's kingdom as it is, just one body, one mind all together. There's this really cool thing, and, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of sort of wrapping it up, guys. There's this really cool thing called the longest table in Tallahassee, Florida, and talking about hospitality, um, I'm just going to kind of quote this um, from, from their website. Check it out. It's the coolest thing. I honestly think that they're onto something. And I didn't get to do a lot of research, but I think other communities might be getting on this because they should if they're not. Like, I'm seriously considering talking to Ponca City about it. So he's, this, they, they're interviewing this guy, and he says, breaking bread at one continuous and symbolic dinner table. Unrest and discord can show up in our daily lives when we're unable to see one another as people. With this in mind, our community came together to explore a simple yet powerful idea that meaningful connections could be built among people who might not otherwise cross paths. What they do is this whole community turns out, I think there was over 1,800 people 
that lined the streets, long tables, and they all just sat and had fellowship. And they got to eat with government officials and just talk about things. I don't care if you were on this side of the train tracks or this side of the train tracks or in this corner of the world or this corner of the world. Everybody's invited and everybody comes to this table and gets to sit and talk and fellowship. I don't know about you, but I can't think of a better picture of what it's going to be like to be with Jesus. I just, I imagine all of us just being together, you know, and how beautiful is that and how much is accomplished. Like I said, I'm going to do some more research into it because it's the coolest thing. When we think about community, you know, I, like I said, I, I have a really hard time, like, really just tying to the hospitality because with hospitality comes community. When you invite someone into your home, community happens, fellowship happens. And I was talking to TD the other day, and I was kind of sharing with him. I, if you're on my Facebook, you saw that I was posting about, you know, these mass shootings that have been happening um, all around the nation. And um, I don't, you know, I'm not trying to get into some political debate. I just don't want it to happen anymore. I think we can all agree on that. Where I think we're disagreeing is, like, what, the, what is the magical solution? You know, and, and you'll hear different people argue about what the solution is. And I started doing some research, and I found this really interesting article in GQ Magazine. And the author um, interviewed 12 different um, people that were in prison for mass shootings. And... You know, and, and understand that this data is still being collected, unfortunately, and they're still trying to figure out what's the thing, what what is the solution, what are we gonna do, you know? But this author went and he just got the interview, the interviewees. He said, I, I have some questions for you and I want your feedback. Some of them responded, some of them didn't. One of, one of the things that I thought was really interesting, all the interviewees had a past in domestic disputes. In other words, there was some kind of rap sheet on them for some, some type of violence in some shape or form. And again, I'm just talking about this pool of 12, okay? I'm not talking about the, the vast population of, that's happening, unfortunately. Just this one little group of people. But they all had troubled childhoods. And here's the thing. They all had a disconnect from society. And that's kind of what I'm harping on with, with anything. I feel like Happy people don't go around shooting people. People that are connected to the vine, people that are connected to a sense of community, people that have people around them that are going to love on them, that are going to speak into their lives, don't go around shooting people. And what I said in my post on Facebook was simply this. I said, how sad that that, that, guy, that, that shooter fell through the cracks. That's what I'm crying about. Obviously, I'm mourning the victims. But how sad that this guy couldn't get help. You know, the one I'm talking about on my Facebook. That's what I was sad about. What if someone had just come alongside him and just said, hey, you know, I want you to come to church with me today. Hey, man, how are you doing? There was such, all of these men, all these 12 people that were interviewed, that's what they had in common. There was a disconnect from community and society. And I found that very, very interesting. And the straw that broke the camel's back when they interviewed them was, well, my boss fired me. My dad grounded me. That was the straw that broke the camel's back, but that's not what, that's not the why. The why was I wasn't seen. I didn't have anybody that loved me. I wasn't connected to anybody. I was angry. And again, I'm just speaking on these 12. But that, in my personal opinion, is where 
I want to do better. We've got to do better. We've got to invite people to our table. We've got to invite people in, not just people that look like us, walk like us, talk like us. Maybe the opposite, actually. There are, obvi- there are many, many um, reports on effects of loneliness. Loneliness can impair health by raising levels of stress hormones and inflammation. That turns into risk for heart disease, arthritis, diabetes, dementia, suicide. Cognitive impairment turns into Alzheimer's with older adults. All because of isolation. All because of loneliness. All because there's no sense of community and connection. And that starts with us. When I was in college, I got a degree um, in psychology. And uh, one of the things that we were um, asked to read was a book by by Henry Nguyen. And it's called Reaching Out, Three Movements of the Spiritual Life. And he said, once we have given up our desire to be fully fulfilled, we can offer emptiness to others. Once we have become poor, we can be a good host. It is indeed the paradox of hospitality that poverty makes a good host. Poverty is the inner disposition that allows us to take away our defenses and convert our enemies into friends. We can only perceive the stranger as an enemy as long as we have something to defend. But when we say, please, enter my house as your house, my joy is your joy, my sadness is your sadness, my life is your life, we have nothing to defend since we have nothing to lose but all to give. And I read that and I thought, man, if I had to ask you guys one thing today, if I had to tell you, like, all of this background about my story and why, why it's easy for me to invite people over to my house, why it's easy for, you know, it isn't always easy. You've got to clean your house and you've got to make sure, you know, but you really don't. I think that's what this is saying. You don't have to have the biggest table. You don't have to have the best food. You don't have to have the best behaved children or the best marriage or the best cars to invite somebody over to your house, to invite somebody to coffee, to engage with someone that looks different than you, that thinks different than you, then thinks different than you. That's where I'm really being challenged right now. I don't want to be right. I don't need to be right. I want to understand. And I'm telling you right now, I'm not going to come to a deeper understanding about what my brother is going through in a keyboard war. I'm just not. Inviting someone into your home is radical. I get it. Some of you, maybe that comes easy, but I'm going to guess that for the vast majority of us, it's not very easy to do. Inviting someone to coffee is radical. God's love is radical. And I asked you earlier, when's the last time you invited someone to your home, to church, to small groups? And I I told T.D. about this. I was like, man, I would love nothing better than after everybody leaves these doors today, someone was challenged to invite somebody over to their house. And then on our Facebook Connect page, they're like, woo, look at us. We did it. I've, I've already invited two different families over to my house. It's happening in November. It's happening. And you guys, they look nothing like me. They don't think like me. But we're going to fellowship together. And I'm going to love on them. And we're going to and we're gonna do this thing. We're going to walk this out. Because it's not going to happen on the keyboard. It's not going to happen on a Sunday morning where I see you for an hour. It's not going to happen there. When you invite someone into your home, it humanizes them. You see pictures on the wall. You see awards. That's someone's brother. That's someone's sister. It makes it more real. And I don't want to stand up here, and I don't want to talk about, you know, what I think Jesus is. I hear that a lot on Facebook. 
Jesus cannot be a Democrat. Jesus did not vote for Trump. Jesus is not pro-guns. Jesus is not anti-guns. Like, everybody's just throwing these around, throwing these around. And I think we're going to be really surprised when we get up there what we find. Really surprised. I don't really care what he looks like. Okay? I don't really put too much into that. But this is what I know about him. And I know it from my life. He breaks through division. He breaks through hatred. He breaks through loneliness. My own loneliness when I was walking through postpartum. I was telling my sister yesterday. I know what it's like. Hormones are crazy (laughs) after you've had a baby. I could be sitting in a room with 10 people and feel completely alone. If you're feeling that today, I've been there. Don't give up. Don't give up. God is so big. Let people come around you. When I say don't give up, I mean don't think you can't help me. You have nothing for me. Don't do that. Keep trying. And I want to end with this. I don't want to talk about God's divinity. I want to talk about his humanity. What did he embrace? What did he create? And who did he include? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, love you so much, God. And I don't know what I said here today, Lord, what stuck and what made a difference to someone, may have made a difference to someone else. I don't know. People are just ready to get out of here for lunch, Lord. I don't know the hearts and the temperature of this room. But you do, Lord God. And, Lord, I just pray for breakthrough in people's lives today, Lord God. I pray for people to walk out of here and feel radical. That's what I want today, Lord God. I want people to walk out of here, and I want them to do something they've never done before and invite someone to their house, invite someone to small groups, invite someone to church. This room would look so different if we all did that. I know that. These pews, these chairs would be filled if we could do that. God, give us your grace to do that. Give us the courage to do that. Help us to put ourselves away. What I know about myself is when I don't want to engage with someone that thinks different than me, that looks different than me, it's me. It's not them. So God, help us to break down those barriers. Help us to seek to listen, to understand, to love the way that you do, God. You've already given us the blueprint. The word has example after example after example of how to do it, how to do this thing, how to walk it out. We just have to take the first step, Lord God, and I pray that we would have the guts to do it. I pray blessings over this room, Lord God. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.